Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The reading is from Luke 21, verses 12 to 19, and it's page 1056 in your PE Bible. But before all this, they will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over to the synagogues and put you in prison, and you will be brought before kings and governors, and all on account of my name, and so you will bear testimony to me. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you defend yourselves, for I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to risk or contradict. You will be betrayed, even by parents, brothers and sisters, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me. But not a hair on your head will perish. Stand firm and you will win life. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. This is where the rubber hits the road with the Beatitudes. This is where it gets, um, it gets very personal. Uh, so I feel very inadequate standing with you this morning for this, um, but let's do it together. This is one of those talks that keeps writing itself. I've just been sitting here this morning really challenged as I l- listen to what God's saying about persecution. I find it really challenging uh, at every level. So one... Brother prayed with us in the vestry this morning, and he prayed for forgiveness because he felt he hadn't stood for Christ when in, in a, the relatively cushy West, when people are getting persecuted around the world and giving their lives to him. Um, and we probably all feel like that. Also, a bunch of us probably have had persecution of one form or another, and it's been very unpleasant, and we may need to forgive today. We may need just our hearts building up again. Um, it's around in every form, and that's what we face today, and that's what we're leaning into this morning. Shall we pray just before we embark on the passage? 
Jesus, thank you for your wisdom and grace and strength and power. Come and speak to us this morning. We give you freedom to roam, to talk, to walk with us. We give you complete access to our hearts, souls, and bodies, our minds, our spirits, our strength. It is all yours. Be close to us, we pray. Amen. Um, so Jesus is sitting with the crowd. He's sitting with the crowd and he's teaching and they're pressing in to hear him. A familiar scene perhaps in our imaginations. What's he saying? What he's saying is about to turn the world upside down. He's teaching the kingdom of God. We know this. It's, we've been going through this for several weeks. And he's saying the true kingdom is coming back and it's coming back in the hearts of people. It's coming back in your hearts. He says it's not about the rich and the powerful. It's about normal people. It's about the poor in spirit, the bereaved and the mourning, the meek. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's for the merciful and the pure in heart. It's for the peacemakers. Just read the scriptures, he might have said. Read the Psalms, read the stories of Moses, of Samuel, of David. See who my father chose across the ages. Good so far. Amazing, astonishing even. Tons of questions, tons of questions, but good. And then he moves on. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now this is a different tone again, because... If I'm sitting there with Jesus, I can imagine being pure in heart. I can imagine being pure in heart. I can imagine being hungry for righteousness. But persecuted? Really? Really, how can that be a blessing? How can it possibly be a blessing? And then as if that's not worrying enough, all this dawning anxiety is confirmed. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is now serious. Because he's asking me to expect my own persecution. He's not talking about some faraway group of people that's going to be persecuted. He's saying, you. And, you know, I'm sitting there on the hillside with him, and I'm thinking, well, I've always admired the prophets. But, you know, maybe I've imagined that somehow they attracted their own persecution. Right? It was unjust for sure, but they could have moderated their tone. They could have networked. They could have ensured they had protection from the authorities, their friends in high places, whatever. But no, Jesus is honoring their persecution. Jeremiah flung down a well into the mud. Elijah hunted like an animal by Ahab and Jezebel. And their army, Daniel, thrown into a pit of lions and left to die. And the list goes on and on and on. And he just might be asking me to be like them. He just might be asking me to be like them. And for so many, so it will prove. Following Jesus will prove costly all the way to death. Of the original 12, of the 11 after Judas, all but one died for their faith. Stephen was the first of the next generation, and he too was executed. Then after him, the whole church was targeted in Jerusalem and scattered. How many of the crowd on the hillside who were listening that morning were going to be displaced? And then the man behind Stephen's execution will become the greatest of all messengers of Christ, and then he too will be executed. 
And then Emperor Nero came in 64, the year 64, when Christians were set on fire and used as human torches to light the road. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable what happened to the early church. But this is a matter of historic certainty. It's just worth knowing this. It's just worth knowing this. So Tacitus, the Roman historian of the day, who had no brief for Christians at all. In fact, if you read him, he's quite anti-Christian. Um, but he says, he actually writes this, in their very deaths they were made the subjects of sport for they were covered with the hides of wild beasts, worried to death by dogs, or nailed to crosses, or set fire to, and when the day waned, burned to serve the evening lights. And Nero offered his own garden players for the spectacle, and in, exhibited a Circensian game, so from uh, one of the regions of Rome, indiscriminately mingling with the common people in the dress of a charioteer, or else standing in his chariot. It was sport for Nero to burn Christians and have them used as human torches. It's completely shocking. But all the time, the kingdom advanced. All the time, the kingdom advanced. And it's not changed since. This is the shocking thing. Over 2,000 years, it's actually not changed. Down the ages, Latimer and Ridley, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Maximilian Kolbe, through to Paul Carlson in Central Africa, and Yunani Luwum in Uganda. And these are just the high-profile ones. The list is endless. Across the world, people are persecuted to death for the faith of Christ. The courage... It's breathtaking to stand there and know you're about to die and stand there for Jesus. This breathtaking courage. So it just, just humbles me to even, even think of it. But now, you have to admit, we're not the only ones, okay? So Christians are not the only people in the world persecuted. Muslims persecuted. You only have to go back eight months to the ghastly shootings in Christchurch in New Zealand to see that. Because people fear what they don't understand. And the journey from fear to hatred, the journey from fear to hatred is terrifyingly short. Jesus says, they will hate you because of me. The Jewish race has been targeted again and again and again down the ages. Most brutally of all, only 100 years ago, under the Nazis in Europe, 90 years ago, 80 years ago. They are, after all, God's original people. But somehow, since the time of Jesus and the dawn of the return of the kingdom of God, to earth and the turning of the tide which is what Jesus was somehow the Christian church has been the object of violence and warfare systematic and random why we have to ask ourselves why why in particular is the church of Christ which means well for the world so targeted and so suffering well, the enemy, of course, musters his forces to try to prevent the advance of the kingdom. Everything he fears. So the enemy is utterly defeated at the cross of Christ, laying waste at the cross of Christ. And he knows his days are short. And he knows his days are short. And he has vicious and evil minions who do a lot of damage. There are princes of hell operating all over to cause devastation, aggression, brutality in the hearts of men and women and confusion, lies, and deceit. The Christians under Nero, insults to injury, were accused of hating the human race. That's why they were apparently burned, because they hated the human race. Can you imagine anything less true? Tacitus actually goes on to share that most people felt sorry for them, felt sorry for them, thought that they'd be badly treated, <laughs> badly treated, but still thought that the cult of Christianity was pernicious. So could anything be further from the truth? 
than that the Christians hated the human race. Can accuse them of lots of things, but not that. Lies, deceit, confusion. It goes on and on and on. I looked up um, Wikipedia, that well-known source of um, modern-day information, and the entry puts it like this. In the 20th century, Christians were persecuted by various governments, including the Ottoman Empire in the form of the Armenian Genocide, the Assyrian Genocide, and the Greek Genocide, as well as by atheistic states such as the Soviet Union, Communist Albania, and North Korea. That's it. That's the story. Open Doors, the, the charity founded in the 50s by the Dutch hero Brother Andrew, lists even today 50 countries, 50 countries. There are only 212, so a quarter of all countries, where persecution is very high, of which 11 are classified extreme, where it's still dangerous even to own a Bible. North Korea, Afghanistan, Somalia, Libya, Pakistan, Sudan, Eritrea, Yemen, Iran, shockingly India and Syria. My great friend Scott Keller, who's a colleague of mine um, at McKinsey, is a great, he's a great Christian. He's also a great world traveler. He has just become one of only 200 people in the world certified to have visited all 212 countries in the world. And his last two were Libya and Yemen, which are two of these. And almost I mean, 10 of those 11 countries are in a shocking state. So for sure, the extreme persecution comes where there is little for, there's little, I don't know, little civilized connectivity, infrastructure, all of that. And presumably, the enemy is just waging war on that, those states and those peoples. I, I guess that's what's happening. I'm still shocked about India. I don't know what's happening in India because I don't think Christians are persecuted systematically. But I guess there are just so many big swathes of people that things can get out of hand. Um, I guess. Muslims get persecuted in India too. There's a lot of stuff happens in India, but I still find it shocking. I go there on business. It's fantastic when I go, but it's shocking that there are Christians being persecuted in, in the country as, developing, as developed now as India. But before we go further, um, let's just touch on the message of sure and certain hope. John writes, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The, I don't know if you know Dick Lucas, great minister of the gospel, St. Helens Bishopsgate, um, still alive as far as I know, in his 90s now. He told me that he was, um, <clears throat> he was traveling home when he was a young minister in his 20s. This would be, I guess, 60, 70 years ago. He was traveling back uh, from the coast in Kent and he was on a train and there, were, there was a couple who were missionaries to China. And they'd just been thrown out of China. It was when China closed its doors and threw out all missionaries. So yeah, I guess it was the early 50s. And he said, um, he, he, he said, oh, you know, I'm, I'm so sorry, it must, must be horrible. And they absolutely rounded on him and they said, don't, don't even say that. This is in God's grace. This is in God's grace. If we're thrown out, he will do his work some other way. And of course, the Chinese just forced the church to go underground. And current estimates are that 250 million people in China are believers. That's nearly a quarter of the Chinese population. About a fifth, actually, now. It's, it's more than a billion now. About a fifth of the Chinese population are now believers. That's three quarters of the population of the US. That's four United Kingdoms of believers in China. So there's grace and there's growth. And no matter how persecuted the church, it is growing and growing and growing. And it's very, very wonderful. 
I was in um, Bangkok this week with 22 senior execs of a very high-performing Asian financial services business. It's an amazing, amazing award-winning, huge, huge business. Um, 30,000 people. Uh, I think it's about a I think it's about a $40 billion turnover. It's an enormous business. And of these 22 execs, um, six were Chinese. Of the six Chinese, three for sure were believers and shared their faith with me uh, and with others. Um, so were the two Koreans out of the 22. And on the global executive committee, who I was with in Tokyo five weeks ago, there are three Chinese of whom two are committed Christians, and the third is highly sympathetic. And the two Christians, both men, shared their living faith with their peers and their CEO at a dinner that my colleague and I hosted. I just noticed the spirit of the church in China. It is extraordinary. It's very, very beautiful. That's taken the Holy Spirit 60 years. 60 years from zero and persecution to a church that is way more thriving than ours. Way more thriving than ours. The battle has raged. The battle has raged all millennia since the two millennia since the time Jesus taught in Judea and it rages still and the victory belongs to him and he promises of course to everyone who suffers in his name he promises the kingdom of heaven all who believe and trust in his name have this but somehow somehow I just think there'll be special honor for those who are asked to lay down their lives for his cause I just think there's some special honor now, much of this seems very foreign to us in what we call the developed world. Much of the modern era, the West, the West has been under Christian leadership, in name at least. The greatest empire ever seen in terms of reach was at its power in the era of Queen Victoria. And Queen Victoria was an unquestionably Christian monarch. And her great-great-granddaughter, who rules now, is unquestionably a Christian monarch and knows her personal lord. And the greatest nation on earth may be under questionable leadership now, but it was founded under the auspices of God himself. And for a century or more was the beating heart of the gospel in the world. So first Britain, then the United States, we've known great stability, great blessing. And yet the battle never really seems to ease off. So we have this sophisticated culture of tolerance. And yet prejudice is surprisingly rife. Especially, it would seem, when it comes to the Christian faith, for some reason. How people confuse religion with faith. Have you ever noticed that? People confuse religion with faith. People say to me, well, are you religious? I say, not at all. Not at all. I have a faith in Christ. I had a great conversation, actually, with um, the general counsel, uh, the legal exec of a client recently. And um, he w I was helping him make this distinction between the religious spirit and faith. Because uh, he, was, he, was, he was noticing, he was criticizing a, a lot of stuff that's going on in the United States at the moment and saying how his big argument was, how, you know, how can, and I don't want to go there today, but his big argument was how can, how can Christian people support Donald Trump? So we're having this conversation. And, um, and I don't want to go there because it's, it's a long conversation, but, and it's a whole new thing. But I said to him, imagine that you're the enemy. What would you do? What would you do to most confuse the picture? And he got it straight away. He said, I create a counterfeit. I said, that's exactly it. The religious spirit is a counterfeit. Very, very brilliant. So it's not religion. It's all about faith. It's all about faith. Blessed are you, Jesus said, when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me.
It will always be present. All believers are to expect persecution because persecution is part of warfare and the battleground is our own hearts. The kingdom of God comes in the hearts of men and women. Most of us know this. Most of us face that sort of the sideways glance, the gentle ignoring, the being passed over. We know what that feels like. If you, I, I'm sure you know what that feels like. You know what I'm talking about, yeah? That, that look, uh, he, she's a bit weird, he's a bit weird. Right, we don't quite fit in. You know, maybe... Mm, we're carrying the kingdom in our hearts is a sacred thing, and it's not easy. And we're to expect all sorts of discrimination, and it's going to take courage also. It's the courage that Peter didn't have famously on the night of Christ's trial when they said, are you with him? And he said, no. Maybe he thought his life was under deep threat. Maybe it was, I don't know. I, I wasn't there. But, but it's that, do you stand with him? The temptation just to not stand at that moment, it takes courage. That's what's required of us. Do you know, sometimes I feel I don't get it enough. I seem to have such favor. I was like, you know, am I really on the front line anymore? You know, now for sure I am and I have my own battles. But somehow I find favor in many places. So I just trust in God and I step forward. And if you're in that place, then welcome. It's great. It's great. And he fights our battles. But it is still, it is still the front line. And the battle now, to me, seems to be taking a different turn. And it's what Jesus speaks of in the scripture Charlie read to us in Luke 21. His words here, set in the context of the days before his return, seem to spell out a sequence. It goes, great earthquakes, famine, and pestilences, fearful events, and great signs from heaven, verse 11. And we've had these for some time, of course, but they do seem to be coming more frequently now, don't they? Maybe it's just they're more reported on. Maybe it's because of so much news and fake news and spread of information. Or maybe it's just how it seems. But even before this, he says, even before this, we'll be seized and persecuted, prison, testimony before kings and leaders, betrayal by own families, and this we recognize. And everyone will hate us because of him. It may seem strong language, but for many in our own country, that feels desperately real. But the key message is this. Wherever we are on the journey to the return of the king, we are to expect persecution, insults, and discrimination as part of the kingdom and the advancement of the kingdom. Jesus' promise that you'll inherit the kingdom of heaven is made at the beginning and the end of the Beatitudes. It's worth noticing that. Verses 3 to 10 of Matthew 5 that we've been reading every week. It's the first one and the last one we are promised to inherit the kingdom of heaven. That suggests to me that his overarching objective is for us to bring the kingdom. We bring it and we inherit it. His last words to his disciples, Matthew 28, will be, go now and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. The Great Commission, Matthew 28. It's in specific pursuit of this kingdom, the bringing of the message of righteousness, that we see persecution in all its forms. We are to bring his kingdom. That is his, that is his call on your life and mine. Bring my kingdom. Bring my kingdom. And then we'll inherit it. Not a hair on our heads, verse 18, will be harmed. It's clearly not true, of course, in the sense of bodily well-being. People are harmed all the time. I think the only thing Jesus can mean here, the only thing he can mean is that we are preserved magnificently somehow for heaven and for the great restoration of all things. And somehow, 
as we battle with the spirit of the age, his kingdom seems farther and farther away than ever. We're caught in some sort of maelstrom, and yet it also seems closer than ever. Do you, do you know what I mean? Sometimes I wake up, I think, it's so far away. And then sometimes I wake up and I think, it is close at hand. One commentator recently said to me, things are getting worse and worse and better and better, faster and faster. Yeah? Things are getting worse and worse and better and better, faster and faster. That's where we are right now. It's all speeding up. It's all speeding up. And depending on where you are right at the moment, you'll think it's spiraling down fast or it's spiraling up fast. All we know is it's hotting up. One thing is for sure, it's hotting up. A great friend of mine who has magnificent prophetic insights um, had an incredible dream. He was in the kingdom and he, he, was, he was in heaven and there was all, this, all, all these tables where they'd been eating and, and banqueting and they were all empty. And they were all empty and they were just left and there was stuff left on the tables. And he saw this angel and he said to him, where is everyone? And the angel said, they're all on the front line. They're all on the front line. They've all gone to the front line. The kingdom of heaven is marshaled and ready. Something so, is it's happening, isn't it? It's happening. It is all hotting up. And we're called to stand firm. <clears throat> so the question for us this morning is how do we handle persecution when it comes? As surely it will. If you stand for Christ... You will get it. You will, if you haven't had it already, you'll get it. And if you have had it already, you know what it's like. So I'm going to close like this. These are it's just me, right? These are just my five principles for living on the front line. Take them or leave them, but I'm going to share them with you. Number one, welcome it. If it comes, it's a great sign that we're doing something right. It's a great sign that we're doing something right. The, the reverse does not apply. If you're not getting persecuted, be thankful. That doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. But if the persecution comes, you're really, you're really hurting the enemy. Okay? So just be thankful. That's what Jesus says. Rejoice, because great is your reward in heaven. Number two, stand firm. Stand firm and be given the words. Verse 15 in today's reading, I love that. Have you had that before? I've had it. I always feel this. Whenever I'm challenged about my faith, the words come. It is about, my friends, walking closely with Jesus. It's about walking so closely with Jesus that you're hearing his voice and just relaying that voice, the conversation that God's having with you. If you relay that, if you listen to him and speak, listen to him speaking to your heart and share that, that's what's commonly called being in the flow. It's hearing God and speaking God. That's what, when people say they're in the flow, that's what they actually mean. They're hearing God and speaking God. That's the thing to do. You'll be given the words. So welcome it and stand firm and listen to the words and use them. And then number three, seize the moment. Peter says, always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. Jesus used questions, whether inquiring questions or aggressive questions, whether he just received it or he turned it around. Whatever he did, he taught from the questions he was asked. And when the questions even came from the Sanhedrin or when they came from Pilate and his life was at stake, he was still building the kingdom. Ask me about the kingdom, I'll tell you about the kingdom. I'm going to build the kingdom with everything I say and do. Uh, number four is pick your battles. Now, this is about wisdom. You've got to pick your battles. Jesus picked fights. 
he was great. He would just go and pick a fight. He would he'd just he'd seek out the Pharisees and teach the Lord. He'd say, come on, bring it on. Bring it on. He'd pick a fight with them. And just, just read the Gospels, right? It's like, great. It's like, I've got you. Do, do you want it? That's fantastic. I'd love to be there. He cleared the temple of the thieves. He went head to head again and again and again with the religious leaders of the day. A great personal risk, I might add. He took the kingdom to where people were in need, healing, teaching, acting never from fear but also, and always from love. But he also avoided battles when they didn't serve the kingdom. The most celebrated of all, Peter, Peter put your sword away in Gethsemane. He could have taken them down. Put your sword away. Doesn't serve the kingdom. Put your sword away. Not now. Not now. They went to look for him, and he wasn't ready to teach. He was up the mountain praying. He didn't fight every fight that came to him. We have to be careful of that. Is it my battle to fight? Is it my battle to fight? I read last week, and I don't mean to judge this because I wasn't there, but I read last week of a Christian man in a wheelchair praying outside an abortion clinic. Do you see that? I mean, at one level, it's absolutely shocking. So um, they've got this exclusion order around this abortion clinic. So... Uh, my taxpayer's money was used for the police to pick this Christian man up in his wheelchair and fling him in a police van for the, sin of, for the crime of praying outside an abortion clinic. So, so I'm angry about that. However, however, I don't know. Was that his battle to fight? Is that what we should be doing, praying solo outside abortion clinics? Maybe it is, right? Maybe it is. Maybe he prayed deeply, deeply, deeply about that. It seemed tactical that use a man in a wheelchair. It's quite... It's, Maybe it's clever. I don't know. But all I'm saying is you're going to do something like that. Make sure it's your battle to fight and make sure you've got the support and the backup to do it, both prayerful, spiritual backup and practical backup. You have to have that. And that's number five. Don't do it alone. Don't do it alone. Companionship in the gospel. Stand firm together. Jesus had his three. He had his 12. He had his 72. Alone is dangerous. Alone is dangerous. Get prayer. WhatsApp one another. SMS one another. Whatever you do with your social media, social media one another, email one another, call one another, get prayer, pray before, during, and after, stand firm, stand firm together, be vulnerable, friends, with each other, be vulnerable. If you're under attack, tell people, don't be embarrassed, tell your friends, get prayed for, get prayed for. It is tough. It's tough out here, isn't it? Isn't it? Don't you think so? Yeah, good. It's not just me. Okay. Because I find, I find it super tough. I think it's tougher now than ever, right? And not just for the amazing, courageous brothers and sisters who are facing death. It's also tough for us in our comfortable Western world because things are getting better and better and worse and worse, faster and faster. So those are my five. Welcome it. Stand firm and get the words. Seize the moment. Pick your battles and do it together. So we stand shoulder to shoulder for Christ. We stand shoulder to shoulder for Christ this morning with all who stand for him and face persecution of every kind in every part of the world. Stand firm. The battle is fierce and it will get fiercer still. But we who hope in the Lord will renew our strength. We will rise up on wings like eagles. We will run and not grow weary. We will walk and not be faint. Shall we do this together? Shall we bring the kingdom? Thank you.